You're listening to the After The Show Movie Podcast from ascully.com. You can find this podcast on the iTunes Music Store, Google Play, YouTube, Voice Assistance, just say listen to After The Show Movie Podcast, and you can also find us on ascully.com where we post written reviews. With that out of the way, here are your hosts, Ascully and Sid Talk. Sid Talk. Hello. Yes? Are you going to sing me a song? Can none come to mind? No. Oh. <laughs> oh wait. Hey, this mean... isn't 2019. Well, I don't think we can. Someone owns it. So I'm gonna say, hey, hey, it's your birthday, everybody running around. So nobody owns that. Maybe that too. Think the monkeys own that. <laughs> oh crap! Oh crap! Yeah, it's your birthday. Hey, hey, it's your birthday. Hey, hey, it's your birthday. Do you want to tell them the story from last year, or do you want me to tell them? Because if you tell them, they're going to hate me more. We probably already told it. <laughs> I'll tell you. You you forgot my birthday. I didn't forget it altogether. I'm just I'm just saying that. See, you're making them hate me more. So we're <laughs> we got up on that day. <laughs> we're doing stuff. I went out. I came back. We're standing in the kitchen talking, and I forget what I said. I looked at you, and I was like. <gasps> Oh my god! I'll tell you what. I'll tell Today's you what, the day. No, I'll tell you a more accurate version of it. When you say you forget what you said, yeah. All right. So you went out for a bit, and then you came back, <laughs> and then I, knowing that you had probably forgot my birthday, said to you, "Are we doing anything for my birthday?" And you said, oh, "It's your birthday." <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then I said, "Did you forget?" And you go, "No, I didn't." I didn't forget. forget. I didn't forget. It's the. It's that I don't know what day it is. And usually. then you told me that because my birthday isn't on Facebook and it didn't remind you, <laughs> then then it's probably my fault. I was kidding. I was just trying to <laughs> dig myself out there. I knew it was the day. I just don't always know what day it is. Well, thank you for remembering. So this, it this year time. I started before midnight. Yeah, you did. You were so overcompensating. I'm overcompensating. <laughs> I'm digging myself out of the bad wife pit. You're not a bad wife. You're the best. Thanks. Well, thanks. I'll just forget all the time then. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget again. They don't care about any of this. That's not they the do. before they the after. They care about my birthday. That's the before the after the show events of the day. I am 51 years old. <sighs> old, old, old. So any hackers who are listening, now you know all of his details. <laughs> well, not really. Do the math. All right. So it is Saturday, June no, it's not. Oh, my God. Oh, now who's forgetting what I, day it look is? Look at what's wrote on the, on the thing. I didn't write the thing. I'll change so it. So don't talk to me about it. All right. It's Saturday, July the 11th. Of course it is. This is after the show. Let's tell them another story real quick. When mm. we first met on the old internet in 1998, and you start, you know, that's a whole long story. But part of the story is you exchange things like, oh, when's your birthday? When's your birthday? You know, you're new. You're dumb. You don't know each other. And you said... 11 7 you said yeah 11 7 right 11 7 69 yeah and i said oh my god mine's 11 7 that is crazy that we're this far apart and we meet little did i realize nor did you that in england you you do it it around and you do it wrong (laughs) (laughs) and mine's november and yours is july Correct. So we had a false premise there for a few seconds that we had the same birthday, which meant it was like fate. But you think that would make it easier to remember the birthdays? (laughs) (laughs) 
but not apparently really. not. Not really. All right. So this is after the show. We're a movie review podcast, and this is our six hundred and forty-second episode. We're looking at a movie this week. It's called The Goldfinch. It's a twenty nineteen movie. It's out now on Blu-ray. Our friends at Warner Brothers sent us a copy of the Blu-ray for review. And it's rated R for drug use and language. 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 Every movie has language, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, language. Yeah. I mean, if it... Yeah, all movies... Well, unless... Yeah, right. Unless it's a silent movie. It doesn't have any language. Yeah. But even a silent movie has language. Exactly. Because it's written on the screen. <laughs> exactly. All right. So uh, give us a synopsis of this movie, and then I'll give oh, you the dear. one off the box. Oh, dear. Really? Um... A young man struggles with his life after some bad shit goes down and there's a painting involved. All right. So I'll give you the one off the box. Uh, this, this It wasn't that? <laughs> the one off the box is, uh, if you're, you know, susceptible to spoilers, don't listen to this. Because, I mean, this whole review, we're going to spoil some stuff. So go away, watch this movie, come back. And we'll see you in two and a half hours. Because that's how long it is. <laughs> All right, so on the back of the box, it says, Theodore Decker is 13 years old when his mother was killed in a bombing at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. The tragedy changes the course of his life, sending him on a stirring odyssey of grief and guilt, reinvention and redemption, and even love. Through it all, he holds on to one tangible piece of hope from that terrible day, a painting of a tiny bird chained to its perch. That's it. There you go. There's a guy, a young man, trying to cope with some bad shit, and there's a painting. That's pretty much what I said. Yeah. So, we just watched The Goldfinch, and it's my birthday, and I was hoping we were going to see a good movie on my birthday. And we uh, did see a good movie. Well, <laughs> in my my opinion, I really liked this movie. It's my kind of movie. You know what my kind of movie is. Mm-hmm. What is my kind of movie? Kind of slowish and a bit depressing <laughs> I mean come on you love Magnolia it's one of the most depressing movies of all time and you are in love with it so I think that's fair to say and um, like thoughtful character driven where you yes. get a long drawn out build up of who people are and the choices they make and all that so this is right up your alley also let's be honest it has a little bit of a personal touch for you so i think you identify with him yes yeah well did you feel that when i was watching it yes also my friend roger deakins uh did the cinematography (laughs) don't lie to people he doesn't even know who you are (laughs) (laughs) it's my favorite cinematography you don't have like a like a little thing set up to, to him somewhere do you hidden in this house like a little What's it called? A shrine? <laughs> I do somewhere, yeah. Maybe, Gross. I should, maybe I should make one at the back of the Gross. room. Gross. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. I kind of related to it. And it's my style of filmmaking. Not just how it looks, but I do like a um, slow kind of character. It's a character piece, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you can really get to get into this character who, um, you know the main guy, Theo, you really get into his, you know, in different parts of his life and how, you know, things could be different if something didn't happen. And so, um, I mean, it's very theatrical. It's very novel like, which is because it's from a novel. So it has that kind of, um, 
overly emotional thing going for it at times, in my estimation. Yeah, not only was this novel the top in the New York Times list for 33 weeks, it also won the uh, Pulitzer Prize for that year, which is like the the Oscars for books, I'm assuming. I don't know. I don't know. It's a big deal if you win that That one. seems like a big deal, but I don't understand. I mean, I've never read the book, so I don't know why, but... Right. So, um, yeah, it follows this... Well, did it... I'm trying to think. Yeah. There's a incident... Well, we're going to spoil here, so mm-hmm. let me say. The, the main character and his mother are in an art gallery looking at paintings, and a terrorist attack occurs in the... Well, we don't know. We, we, don't we never know. are told what happened. I mean, that's what, what happened. It's assumed happened. Oh, I didn't assume that. I just thought well, some dickhead blowing up. There's some headlines that say ter- Oh, okay. Newspapers. I didn't read through the headlines, so you're probably right. right. The, you know, he hasn't... He even, has, he even had the painting wrapped in a newspaper from that day, if you remember. Mm-hmm. So, let, a terrorist attack occurred. The art gallery blew up. The kid, Theo, our main character, loses his mother in the explosion, but gains the painting. He didn't gain it, he stole it. Steals it, that's what I'm saying, he mm-hmm. gains it. Okay. his personal gain. He takes it. it oh, he actually takes it because it's his mother's favourite thing in the world. And he's, in that moment of shock and grief, takes it to try and cling to something. And then he goes off about his life with the painting, you know, always with him. And that's how the story unfolds, isn't it? Through the through his journey through life. Um, and then there's a, you know, a twist to the thing about the painting. Did you see any of that coming? Because I didn't. The twist to the... Oh, you mean this... Yes. I mean, oh, yeah. There's a twist about the painting, right? Are you talking about because it's not here, it's there? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Immediately. I didn't see that because every single time... I mean, we're spoiling things, we're spoiling it, right? Every yeah. single time he would take it out of the bag, it was wrapped in newspaper, and he would just cuddle it and lay on the floor, like very sad, like a little boy cuddling a toy, remembering his mother. He never unwrapped it. And I was like, oh, so that's not it. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I thought that, like, the whole time. See, I wasn't thinking that way, um, but I, sh- I guess... On reflection, I should have been because everybody in his life was kind of shystery. Everybody in this movie, let's just put this out there right now, is absolutely horrible. These are horrible people. Almost everybody, in one way or another, right? You've got the stuck-up rich lady who just doesn't really seem to love anybody. Everyone's just there for appearance. Because he gets fostered. Yeah, he gets taken into this family because he knows the one of the sons... A little, you know, kid his age. And that lady and that family are so wrapped up in looking and being rich and uptight and everything's perfect. It's really, to me, that's sinister. Like, a loveless house full well, you of know, family. You know, like, because we didn't know what this was about. I, as soon as he got put in the foster care place, and it, I thought that this was a sinister kind of... I thought it was going to turn into, like, a killing, you know, like a murder movie or something. Mm. I didn't get that vibe. But I, I, I just well, I picked up really quickly that everybody, everybody around this person is awful. Yes. Seriously and then, awful. And then he's in this, he's in with this foster family who, you know, it, it's not, it doesn't feel right, does it? It doesn't, I said to you, this doesn't feel much fun, like here for kids. I <laughs> know. <laughs> like, because they play in chess and they make it. The kid very was cultured. cool. The one kid. Yeah. But um, 
it, you know, I, I was like, oh, this, I don't know if this is a, it don't feel right for a kid. But then his, his father turns up out of the blue, who's apparently got his act together now. <laughs> and he's played by uh, Luke Wilson. And um, he's with his lady. And you can tell instantly that, no, this fucker's not got his act together. He just wants something from the kid. Correct. Well, we're into the impression very quickly that the the boy and his mother, because they're at the art gallery and then this posh family, and they know of his mother and stuff, that they're that she's probably rich. Now the loser father comes along and you're like, oh, right. So now the son is a link to the money. That's what I thought. And I got this, like, um, I've had this feeling in my life as a child that I got from this movie. And it's, you know, when... The, the loser father turns up. I'm not saying that it parallels my situation that I had, but there was a feeling I had. When the loser father c- turns up and he has to be... T- he was kind of happy in this, even though we weren't into it. Yeah, he saw he, something he in his dad that was, like, just loose and kind of, like, like wild a little bit, I yeah, think. Yeah, and, like, I, I, can, I could be here and I feel safe. Like, you could mm. see that that's how he felt about the place. And then the loser dad turns up and literally, okay, now you're going to Vegas with your loser dad yeah. and you're going to live there. And I had a some kind of feeling there of what I've had of, about being... Oh, fostered around. Being upturned. Like, oh, I feel like I'm starting to fit. Oh, apparently I'm not. I'm going there now. Oh, that makes so, me so sad. So that movie did that. I felt that welling up inside me. So I'm like, oh... I don't know if that's good because it makes you feel kind of anxious. But. <laughs> but you're aware of it. Yeah. But so. any movie, I mean, that's just, oh, this kind of, this mirrors what they're saying in the movie. That objects of art and objects and things. Because they're kind of like worshipping the history of items as they're passed from generation to generation. Like they're immortal and they live outlive us, right? So that, And that they bring out emotions and connections between us and inside of us. You've just said that this piece of art, films are art, did that to you. And so if somebody else with a similar situation to you watches this movie in 50 or 100 years and has that same feeling, there's like a, you know, not a connection. I don't believe in all that shit, but it's a way to make us identify with like the sameness of us all, really. Yeah. So that's what this movie slash book, which its whole message is that. It's about, and there's a very, there's a moment in this movie where um, the guy, uh, Hobie, who's played by Jeffrey Wright, is talking to, our, to Theo. And he's talking about how, like, you being in charge of this painting, it's like a thing that's bigger. This thing will last, outlast everybody. It, it means things to people. And it's been fine all this time, and now you're in charge of it. It's not fine anymore. Like Aww. what? It, that that whole, you know, that speech. I was like, oh. But that was awful. It's an awful thing to say. It is, but it's very, and that's what I thought immediately. Wow, what a what a heavy thing to place on a young man. Like he yeah. might not have thought of it that way, and now he's like, fuck. <laughs> Well, he already felt bad his whole life. Like, yeah. <laughs> like his mother's death is his fault. And now you're just laying that crap on him? No, I wasn't approving of that comment. No, but I f- it was a powerful thing in, in some way to me. It was like, oh, I've not thought of it that way. But, you know, this is affecting this guy in a way. Like, he's like, people- Yeah, but also, as much as I love art, you know this about me. 
You're not precious about it. I'm not precious about it. And if every fucking piece of art in the whole world was instantaneously destroyed, guess what would happen? Humans we'll make would make... More. Exactly. Yeah. And we will continue to express whatever fucked up or loving or hate-filled or exasperated or revolutionary or inspired feelings we have through things that are passed on to each other, whether it's writing down, writing it in a book or singing a song or writing a poem or drawing a picture or making a movie, writing a video game, whatever, right? That will continue forever. And so to say that, oh, this one painting that was painted a thousand years ago, even though I think that things that live or that exist for that long are amazing, like that's amazing that you could pick up a dish that's been around since... 1525, you know, like Antiques Roadshow, people bring shit in that's been sitting on their kitchen counter, and they're like, uh, this is from the 15th century, and you're like, holy crap, you know, that's amazing that it survived. However, if it did not, someone right now is also handcrafting a bowl, you know? Yep. So, I'm not that deep about it, like this movie tries to really dig you in deep to the preciousness of it all. And this painting that they use, the Goldfinch, is... It's not a fictional thing. It's a real painting, mm-hmm. right? And they do explain it in the extras. It's not a painting I'm familiar with. Uh, I wasn't. Or, no, but I mean, it's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. I mean... I mean, it depends on your taste, but I like it. And what I really liked is when we watched the extras, they actually went to the, like, painstaking... They made a, a replica of it. with their, their art department made it. And, you know... Well, I'd say they hired a specialist... Right, but they use like 3D scans of the of the real thing. Obviously, you don't take the real thing away, like, and use it in a film. But it showed you the guy painting it, and you know, first thing they did was printed it out in 3D, as in all the bumps of the paint were 3D printed, like layer on top of layer, so that it had the right texture. Yeah, and then they painted over it with like the colors. It was pretty cool. I mean, it's not necessary. Unless you're a super art snob, you're not going to sit there and go, oh, well, that's not the real one. I mean, one. it's not necessary for me. It could have been just a fictional painting to me and you. True, me too. But, uh, you know, as long as they explain that it's a painting that means something to people. Because um, we didn't know the painting. So, mm-hmm. uh, if it, you know, if it was a famous... Say, say they did use the Mona Lisa that everybody knows. Mm-hmm. You know. That'd be boring. Yeah. Well, I'm sure the goldfinch is super... I don't um, think it is. Famous. famous. This is probably one of those that I saw a slide of when I took art history in college and memorized the details and since then have forgotten. It's from the, what, the 16th century? 1564. Right. Or 1654, one of those. So, (laughs) So this story, while it's about this painting and it's about... But I took away more than that. It's more about the people... And the, the journey the, that you go on with him, you know, it starts with him as a kid, just after the events of his mother dying. Then you go through the, that stuff, and then you go through a section where he is gone to live with his dickhead father. And he's, that's in Vegas, which is very different to New York. And there he meets a lifelong friend, pretty much, right? A friend that he's going to have for years. Um who's played by Finn Wolfhard, you'll know him. The young version. Yeah, the young version. But, you know, there he does his growing up, his teenage years, where he takes drugs and gets drunk and, you know, 
all those things. I was going to say and gets girls, but they, they don't he, actually get girls. He might girls. have been only about 12 or 13 at that time. Right. But he this does, seems like a short period of time he was there. Right. But he does a lot of um, grown-up things very quickly. True. So, it, you know, because mainly because he gets mixed up with this dude who is like that, just like that. And all that section I really found, it was really fun, but also pretty tragic. Yeah. And every time, and I think, you know, this is a testament to Luke Wilson. Every time he talked, I wanted to, like, smash him. <laughs> because he's this, like, he's just this loser father. And we get this we get this figure who turns up at the door with the cowboy hat, who I assume is, like, the owner of a casino that he owes money to or some shit. Oh, I don't know about that. Because he seems flashy, like, but... Nah, I think he's more of just a, this guy borrowed money from a loan shark, and this right. is the guy... But then you've got, like, you know, you can tell. Like, there's this Luke Wilson character, his dad, Larry, says to the kid at one one point, just in a conversation, yeah, I just need to get your social security number for something. And you're like, Ugh. And you're like, oh, fuck, this, this dad just wants to use this kid to get whatever he can. Like, maybe the mum, maybe the mum left him some money and he can get it. And it's just awful. Like, it's like, oh. Yeah. Like I said, everyone this person <laughs> encounters is awful. And he's not saying to her anything, so I'm not trying to say, like, oh, all the bad forces are working against him, but... And the relationship with the stepmother kind of hit my nerves a bit. He didn't have a stepmother. The, I mean, you would call her a stepmother, wouldn't you? Oh, the girlfriend of the yeah. mother, of the Played by husband. Sarah Paulson. Yeah. It kind of got me a bit, that one, because... She, she wasn't, like, abusive. She was just a loser. Yeah, like a druggy abuser. There was this, like... There was this, like, trying to connect, but not, like, not happening kind of thing. You know she was she, not interested. Yeah, because he's like, no, she's just this... In his mind, she's this woman that was cheating. My yeah. dad was cheating with my, my mom was alive, so fuck you. Like, yeah, that's, exactly. That was in his mind, so... Um, and, and the fact that he was smarter than her was very helpful. Yes, and then the then the film you know goes to him as a young man. Um, I, I've said, what is he like? 21, 20, 25? I'd say maybe, maybe twenty five. Yeah. Yeah, and then he you know he's he's working with this antiques restoration guy, and he's like the salesman for him. And that whole that whole thing was cool. I thought it was like a interesting way for him to get into like you know, something that he loves because he's obviously got in his mind the old things and paintings. and Yeah. You know, so it kind of weaves its way in and out and there's some betrayals and then there's, you know, the last 20 minutes or so was kind of unexpected to me because it kind of goes a bit action-y. Yeah, you're like, whoa. I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. Because I thought, I thought I'd cottoned on to what kind of movie it was. But it goes a little bit action-y at the end and I just enough, not too much. To actually conclude the whole thing. So I just like the structure of it. You know, I'm sure people, I'm sure when we get onto the reviews of it, people, you know, this is a two and a half hour movie, which people seem to be averse or allergic <laughs> yeah. to right now. But then they blame the movie after they've sat and watched the whole thing. I just think that's hilarious. Yeah, or they, or they turned it off after 60 minutes because that's all they could deal with, right? Or they watched it in two parts, you know? I know. I mean, if that's the way you... People do watch movies in two parts, don't they? I hear that all the time. Oh, we watched it over a few nights. But that, that... That breaks your heart. It does because that's not how it's supposed to be presented to you. 
like the story's cohesive one thing like you don't you, you go off and live your life for a whole 24 hours and then come back to it you've you, your brain has definitely forgot something there's a detail missing or something right and then you can blame the movie for being confusing <laughs> yeah. or you know like i'm an advocate for sitting in the quiet room <laughs> With the movie, I'm just like Martin. No. I sound like Martin Scorsese, don't I? Or somebody like uh, old-fashioned. I've always been that way, though. When I was a kid, and if you interrupted me watching Charlie's Angels, I'd be pissed. <laughs> I would. I'd be like, "Shut up!" I lived in a house, you know, six people, four kids and parents, and usually people over and whatnot. And I'd get so pissed, I'd cry because everyone wouldn't shut up so that I could watch Starsky and Hutch and Charlie's Angels. <laughs> That's why I loved getting up like it. Before TV started on a Saturday, yes, back in the day, kids, TV wasn't on 24-7. I also did It that. was like... Yep. And then the National Anthem would come on, and then the Farm Report, which, of course, I lived in I'm in the Midwest, so I would watch the Farm Report, having no interest in the Farm Report whatsoever, with my pillow and blanket on the floor, as close to our little console TV that used to sit on the floor. It was probably 19-inch, I would imagine, 19, 27-inch, maybe. Um as close to it as I could get without, you know, being right up against it. But the volume turned way down low. And then the cartoons would come on. And I would love that time because no one was awake. Not even my mother. <laughs> even That was too early for my mom on a Saturday morning. So I've always been that sort of like, just let me experience this thing while it's on. And then we can get on with real life. I, I agree. So um, let's get on to the cast here of this movie. Uh, Ansel Elgott who I was only familiar with from Baby Driver. He was the main guy in Baby Driver. Mm-hmm. That's the first time I've seen him, and I really liked him in that movie. And here he plays Theo Decker, and I thought he was excellent in this too. Yeah, I really liked him. I mean, he's very... Uh, I, I kept thinking, and may it tell me if I'm wrong, that he reminds you of our nephew. Yes, all the time. <laughs> and you've never said that, but I knew in your head. Yes, that that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, oh, <laughs> is all this terrible stuff going on in his head? Not that he's had these tragedies, but I don't know. I don't dig too deep emotionally with, you know, he's 24 years old now. So he's about this age. You're but right. even his appearance, like he, yeah. he, he kind of reminds you of him. Yeah. And, and me a bit too. I mean, even look at him on the cover of this movie. Yeah. And like the demeanor of he's always thinking as he's just staring at you like, hmm. Why are you that way? <laughs> yeah, he's figuring things out. Yes. And he's, oh, now I have to text him and see if he's okay. Tell him to watch the movie <laughs> The Goldfish. And be like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, so while this movie is multi-layered, it goes through these different periods of his life. So there's always a young version of the... So Oakes Fegley, who I think plays the young Theo... I, he was my favorite part. Oh, he was amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. In fact, that the middle segment when they moved to Vegas, that whole segment where he's, you know, f- at first he's like a bit anxious about it all. Go, oh, I've got to go here with my dad and I'm in Vegas. But then he meets his friend and then it just seems like fun for a while because they're doing drugs and they're drinking and they, they're just left to themselves because they're not very good parents. But the kids seem to be having fun in that period of time. They even drop acid at one point. I know. But then when, you know, there's, there's a scene where they've just dropped acid minutes ago. And then a very bad piece of news is given to them. And that makes it weird. <laughs> like a weird scene. 
But uh, I think Oakes Fegley did really well. He's uh, apparently he's like a Broadway person uh, who'd never acted in something. Nicole Kidman plays Mrs. Barber. What did you think of Nicole Kidman? Mm, I mean, I got the point. She was a repressed, high-expectation, low-affection sort of a rich lady. see her in two periods using Yeah, makeup. which wasn't great. I, I thought I it think was why possible. Not just, why not just let her be her? Like, maybe smooth her out a little bit and let her be the age she is now? Because right. she is that age now. She would... They're trying to pretend like she's going to be really old with children who are about 30, but mm-hmm. that's how old she is. There's always a bit of a disconnect with old makeup, isn't there? Yeah, you don't need to older up. She could be a youthful 60-year-old woman with grown children. I assume she's 60. I don't know. I could be very wrong. Um, Jeffrey Wright, who I really like, turns up in this movie. You um, always like him. As Hobie. Now, he's the antiques restoration guy who... Never quite figured out what was going on with him. Because he's, he's, you know... It's implied that he's a shyster, but you can tell he loves the furniture so much. Yeah, and something with his with his business partner went wrong at some point. Because he implies, you know, he's like, oh, well, I used to be with the guy, this guy, we were business partners, and he did most of the business, but then he's not there, right? So something happened. He's not there because he died in the explosion. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying, but there, there was something going on between them, too. No, okay. what he's saying was, now that he's gone... Oh, I thought that... No, he's he was... saying he's the guy who does the business, and I'm not good at that part, and now that he's gone... And obviously it's been a while, because the niece of the guy has been convalescing in the same place, right? So it's been a while. It's been months, maybe a year, because she's got a big scar on her head. You know what I mean? It's been at least months. So Hobie's thing... Oh, his entire thing is he just is absolutely in love with restoring furniture. Right? Right. But then we get hints of uh, shady business or something. Shady, like, I never quite like figured he make, that he, out. He does like a little speech about like, you know, making furniture, restoring furniture is good. And then you can also make replicas of old furniture. So long as you don't sell replicas of old furniture as the real furniture, then that's right. fine. So there's a line that is you can cross there, and that line got crossed somewhere, didn't it? He's definitely yep. sold something that he shouldn't. That was like a little foreshadowing. Yeah. So um, I really like Jeffrey Wright in this. You know, I said to you, he does play the same kind of character. It could be Bernard. It could be Isaac. <laughs> True. <laughs> but um, I, I like... That character that he plays. Luke Wilson plays Larry. I thought he was kind of the weakest thing in the whole movie. And yes, his character was a jerk, but I just felt like it wasn't very... I didn't feel like he was... I felt like he was ...loser enough. Hmm. Right? Because something about him... I don't know. It was... I mean... He didn't seem desperate and low-life enough. He was like a charismatic loser, I guess. True, I could go with that. Because I said to you, is he just playing himself? Because <laughs> he's like, oh yeah, I was in this movie. and uh, But then he's kind of a loser. I mean, yeah. yeah, I think he's a loser because what? He like gambles? Or gambles like and drinks. Yeah. Invest in bad things. <laughs> he's not investing. He didn't want that money for an investment. He wanted it to pay his gambling debts. Right. That's, and that's the reason they live in yeah. Vegas. Um, so he can try and... His, his idea is, we go to Vegas and I can fix everything because... <laughs> I can gamble. <laughs> um, 
And then his girl, so Sarah Paulson, who I generally don't like, she plays Zandra. I really liked her in this because she plays this like, you know, she's just his girlfriend and she works on the strip in Vegas. What is she exactly? Like a bartender? I think so, yeah. But she, she's not really into having a kid around, it doesn't seem. Nah. And she's very uninterested. And the scene where she has to break it to young Theo that spoiler we're already in spoiler territory that a father has that di- his father has died is i thought was a really i've never seen a scene like that before mm. because it's like a person who cares about him but doesn't 100 percent well that she doesn't care about him or the kid no she don't 100 percent care about the kid that much but she cared about the dude yeah so it's like a she has to tell him, but there's not a full emotional range out of it. It's just like, she's like, I'm going through grief, but I'm telling you this. Also, the kid's on acid yeah. at the time, which really throws a spanner on it. Because <laughs> the kid's like laughing a little bit. And she's like, what are you, you know, it's it's an odd scene, but I really thought it worked. Finn Wolfhard, who you know from, what do you know him from? Not everyone knows his name. I wouldn't know his name. He's been in, a, oh, he's in Stranger Things, right? And yeah. He's also in It. He played the young version. True. Um, uh, he, he's in this one as well, and he plays the dude he meets called Boris, who's f- from all over the world, like he's been traveling with his father. Is that so we can explain the bad accent? Yeah. I mean, it's just that stereotypical... <laughs> it, wasn't even, it wasn't even that. Come on. It was not good. Um, so he's he meets this dude at school, and he's... I was going to say he's like a bad influence, but he's not really, because he actually shapes this guy a bit. But he is kind of a bad influence, right? <laughs> yes, but again, you know, this kid needs somebody who cares about him more than yeah. the, you know, it's overrides a, the influence, It's I think. a bit of a trial by fire, but it's got good sides to it and bad sides to it. He kind of grows up very quickly through this kid. Like, he's like, they do stuff, they drink, they, you know clown around they we get we get the picture the parents don't really care about either of them because the boris his his family don't care either do they like his mother's dead also his father's a jerk yeah yeah so uh finn wolfard is also got an adult version played by anarin bernard who we actually saw on um the movie dunkirk with uh harry styles okay um and he plays the adult boris who I, I really liked the adult version of him. I mean, like you said, he's a little bit smaller than Finn. He was shorter. It's like he got shorter. <laughs> it was not good. And I said it's probably the vodka because he drink a lot of vodka. <laughs> Drinks a lot of vodka, but still. <laughs> it was a little bit tacky to have him appear to be smaller than he was when he was a teenager. But, he, but I think he did a damn good job of it. I like the scene in the car where he's asked to tell him what happened with the painting. Kind of. And I liked the scene where Didn't they think went, it was great. When they went to Amsterdam, I really liked. Because there's a there's an action sequence that takes place in Amsterdam. Yeah. I mean, it's not like Mission Impossible 7 or anything, but it's pretty decent. I, I didn't know what was going to happen, genuinely. I was like, whoa. You know, guns are involved? What's happening there? Like, <laughs> you never know, do you? All bets are off when that starts happening. So um, this is directed by John Crowley. He's directed quite a few episodes of True Detective. So, uh, did you get that vibe out of this movie? Because I didn't. Not really. No. And he also directed a movie called Brooklyn, 
with Cersei Ronan, which actually was up for the Oscars that year, but we didn't see it. It was like a period piece. Anyway, I really like the direction of this movie. The directing. It's he got what he I think he got out of the actors very good performances. And it's an emotional thing, isn't it? Like it's all It emotional. is. I feel like it's a mixed bag, but yeah. Uh, and obviously Roger Deakins camera work and how pristine this it looks awesome. There's a lot of amazing shots for sure. Yeah. I mean, you should if you hire Roger De- give him a raise. Give him If I hire him? Give him some jewels. I don't think I can afford Richard. <laughs> you don't you can't afford Richard. Is that his name? Roger. Roger. I can't afford Roger. Ah! <laughs> um, no, Roger's... It's... I'm used to looking at Roger Deakin's work. You know, I've seen most of it. The first one I saw was the uh, coward Robert... What's the whole... The assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Correct. That movie has a distinctive look to it. and All these movies do if you go and look at them. But this one looks different. It's it's clean looking. It's not like a film grainy. It, but it's still lit the way I can see. You know, he did Skyfall as well. It is lit very well. But it's you, not style over substance. It's no. ju- it's very functional but beautiful. And he's like the master of lighting. So if you watch a, Robert, a Roger Deakins film, uh, when we sometimes complain about how dark movies are, this is not that. It's very... Nice to look at. So, IMDb reviews, what are those? Mm, Those are reviews you find on IMDb. Do I win a prize? No. (laughs) You find the one stars of the people who took the time of their life to type a sentence, maybe two, of something very unhelpful about their anger and angst about how terrible a movie is. And if we agree with them... We think they're right. That's cool. If we like the movie, we're like, what an idiot. And uh, also uh, on that, just something I saw here, is uh, this movie's the f- like Amazon Studios teamed up with Warner Brothers. They didn't used to have like a big studio. But this is the first movie to come out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, Manchester by the Sea was a... Oh, uh, there you go. You love that one. And that was very depressing. Yeah, that but was good. an Amazon film. Very good, but very... <laughs> Not a cheery movie. So uh, these are the people on IMDb who don't like this movie. And to be honest, I find sometimes movies I like people don't generally like. I do find that quite a lot. Yeah. So that just makes me, I don't know, a bad taste in movies or good taste. I don't know. Mm. One of the two. I'm going to say good because I often agree with you. So we're going to go that direction. Right. So... Um, these are the people who don't like this movie. So, this guy says, probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Probably. Uh, And I watch movies a lot. Why make a movie that lasts two and a half hours? I knew this would come into it. (laughs) Yes. When there is only enough plot for roughly one and a half hours. Oh, are you a master writer now, are you? I found myself bored to death, hoping the movie would finally end. I heard audience members sighing during the movie, and I don't think I was the only one. Hmm. That's what that guy thinks. The second guy thinks, Complete waste of time. Kept thinking it was going to get going. It never came. The best part of the movie is the end titles. (laughs) This guy says, Disgusting. Prepare yourself 
every man. No, prepare yourself. Every man in this movie is the worst kind of toxic masculinity imaginable. It left a sour taste in my mouth to think that this is what the majority of these literature majors think about the hard-working men in this world. Oh my Simply God. disgusting. The author and director cannot separate themselves enough from their own personal issues to understand that life can be relative. What the hell is that person even talking about? Every person in this movie. Yes, there are a lot of male characters, but the females do not get off easy. They are horrible. Yes. All of them. Yeah. Including, I mean, the only one who isn't maybe is Pippa because Pippa, I mean, yeah. But she also has this, you know, problems, but she's not horrible, but the other girl is and the mothers, I mean the girlfriend and the fake mother and Nicole Kidman. I mean, they're all terrible. I don't understand how people constantly apply their own confirmation bias or whatever it is with, like, they feel insulted by the world because of something about themselves. It could be anything. Absolutely anything. This person thinks everyone's picking on men. Grow the fuck up. What is wrong with you? Every every movie isn't that. The final guy, uh, I'm not even going to read what he says, but he says (laughs) the Pulitzer Award-winning book, right? He says, needed editing. Had too many chapters. It was too long. It took him too long to read it. And then he goes on to say that the movie should have been more like 30 minutes, because then that would have made it tighter and much better. An expert, then. (laughs) (laughs) You mean this is the guy they should have hired to edit the book and edit the movie, and for some reason they just didn't find him in the world? What a pity. That's a real shame. So the Blu-ray comes with some extras. Um, It has... uh, the Goldfinch Unbound, which is about the book and the adaptation to screen, and the real Goldfinch, which explains about it tells you about the real painting and how people feel about it and shows you how they recreated it. And some deleted scenes. So it's not a ton of stuff, but you know, you do get to see how they I do like that, how they recreated a, a real painting. You you could say forged a painting, but Legitimately, right? Forged a painting? Yeah. They actually did a forgery of a painting. Oh, yes. Somebody, after the fact, could probably pass off because it was so accurate. Ah, oh. Uh, Which actually mirrors exactly what the film's about. True, true. So, um, movie recommendations. Well, conclusion. All right. The Goldfinch. I will give The Goldfinch 9 out of 10. Damn! You are, see, you got your own little biases about the movie, but it is good. So I'll accept your an, 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 and you will assessment. Give it? I'm going to give it like 8.7. Okay, see? So we're on the same wavelength, roughly. And Because uh, it's just, it's a good, it was a good, like... Um, substantial thing. It's substantial. It made me think. It made me feel. It made me cry at one point because I was like... Damn, this guy has gone through a lot and is not, it's kind of melodramatic and I'm not really into that, but I grasp the concept of him being tortured all these years and this one thing through all of this shit kind of made him finally go, ugh, like a relief and that made me very emotional. Nice. That was the idea of it. So, um, in, yeah, we... We like it. We like it. It's a good movie. Hey, Mikey, we like it. 
Uh, movie recommendations, I'm going on the theme of the goldfinch. I'm going with Boyhood, because it kept giving me a vibe of Boyhood, hmm. which is a another Oscar-nominated movie that came out a few years ago that, um, you know, goes through a boy's growing up. But it, that also had the feeling of you go from one place to another place just because your parents have to, like, you know, and you end up having, as a kid, to start again, like, in a new place. And I had the same feeling. How about mid-90s? That's kind of had that. Yeah, also. And my other one was um, I was trying to find a film with uh, our lead guy here, um, Ansel Elgott, and uh, Divergent. I like the Divergent movies. He just played the brother, though. You know what I hate about the Divergent series? That they didn't get to finish it. (laughs) Because the film company went bust or something, and then they didn't make the final one. I mean, it wasn't great. It was trying really hard to be Hunger Games. Yeah, it was. And it was sort of like the little, you know, hey, here we are. We're making the same kind of vibe story. But it was done well enough i guess Just I actually i really liked it and then the the there was three movies and then at the end of the third movie there was a bit of a cliffhanger involving kate <laughs> winslet and then we never saw what happened next and that was that um so yeah i'll recommend you those two yours are mine are uh as in my 2020 thing going back to 1920 there's a movie called something to think about which I have not seen or thought about. So there's that. And then there is Start the Revolution Without Me from 1970, just 50 years ago. And the reason I'm doing this is because a lot of people don't realize or think about or care that movies have been around for over 100 years. So we're going back just 100, but they've been back since around since the very beginning of the 20th century. And if we think we've invented any ideas, any vulgarity, any violence, we may have cranked it up and sort of like keep pushing it toward maybe more gore and more visual intensity, but the concept of the violence and Man's inhumanity to man has been around since storytelling began, and it was some of the first stuff in movies. And so I'm be- guessing if you go back and watch something to th- something to think about, which is from 1920, you'll find something you'll go, wow, that's 100 years old? And then start the revolution without me. I don't know what that is at all. It's just experimental. Go check it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, games. We've been playing Ace Gully games. We played The Last of Us Part 2. All the way to the end. You played it. I watched it. You, you, I was the driver. Correct. And you was the passenger. That's you a passenger. good way to describe it. Yeah. And I said to you at the end of it, and the credits start to roll, that's a 10 out of 10 game. Been a good week for high-rated stuff. It has. Um, so you, as the non-player, give me what you thought of it. Why are you choking or something? It sounds like you're choking over there. I'm choking, yes. Don't choke. Uh, it was it was like a good story. It was I would say fun to watch, but it's quite sad and depressing. Also, I mean, it's about sort of like a not end of the world, but collapse of all society because of yeah. a terrible. Fun's not the right word, is it? Fungus. It isn't fun, but it's um, it carried me from episode to episode. Meaning, every night when you'd play for an hour and a half or two hours, I was interested from the time you started it up until. We would move on to the next section, so I, I enjoyed it. And uh, it's like technical. Uh, technically, it, games are getting really good at being 
movies. <laughs> like kind in, of, yeah. Like interactive movies, you know, cinematography and sound design and that whole... You know, they've come a long way. If you've not played video games for years and you play this video game, I think you'd be very surprised of how far things have come. You know, voice uh, voices and motion capture and just the story. And you know what? People, like in general, the video game populace, they're just mad about this game. Mad like angry or mad like in love with? Angry. Okay. Uh, that what happened during the course of the game... Which we will not discuss. ...was not what they wanted. And they're just mad. <laughs> Remember what I said about art earlier? Yeah. Not precious about it. Also, art, it's not yours. Art is not to you. life. Not my life, right? I appreciate concepts and ideas, and I love looking at a thing. I love watching a movie. But it is essentially expression and entertainment, which is not survival. It is not your life. If you're sitting around on your ass too many hours a day with nothing else to bitch and moan about except some stupid fucking video game that didn't please your every single little need and whimpery little ass whatever it is inside of you that feels so broken and sad and entitled, stop playing video games. It makes me angry because I just think... Are you kidding? I'd rather review these people than review this movie. Like, are you kidding me? The extent that people go to to express their displeasure with someone who's made some art, it is ridiculous. um, It makes me think, you know what? You're no longer allowed to watch movies or play games at all. You get a job that gets your ass up and working for 16 hours a day. To shut you up and wear you out, and so all of a sudden you don't have a bunch of stuff to bitch about anymore. Well, I I don't care. They can bitch, whatever. But don't don't like contact the people. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. These people contact the people who are in the game, who make the game, threaten the people. I mean, it is ridiculous Um, for a game. And it's the same for a movie, you know, when like Avengers Endgame came out and certain characters died, or Captain Marvel, like it was like, ooh. She's ruining the whole franchise. But uh, I'm a big fan of the original Last of Us. I think it's like a masterpiece. It's one of my favorite games. And I'm really, yeah, I'm quite attached to the characters. And I was excited to see them in a new game. And, you know, stuff happened throughout the game. A story happened. And I, I was thrilled to see whatever happened. Because it's not my story. It's the people who created Naughty Dog. It's their story to tell. And if you don't like the story, then just move on, right? But if you... Yeah. I could take anything. I, I'm like, well, this is more of their story, and maybe it doesn't go how how it's all supposed to be, going, you know, smoothly or whatever. And then when you're done, here's what happens. You watch the movie. Yeah, we do this podcast, but after this podcast, we're done. We're going to sit here and talk about this movie at ad, ad nauseum. We're just not going to do it. It's not going to occupy time of our life for days and days and months and years we're, I'm over it. I've watched this movie. I've been entertained. I've had a good conversation with you. And now life goes on. Like, that's all you got to do. Play it. If you want your money back, that's fair enough. Make a case to get your money back on whatever product you've bought that you do not like. I would not argue with that. And, uh, yeah, get up the next day and move on. I did enjoy um, being it. It took us two weeks to finish the last. It's a 30-hour game. It's really long. It was substantial. Um but not long where I was like, oh, God, I wish this would end. 
I was actually like, oh, just keep going. Like, I'm really into this story. Because it actually gets quite interesting. It, it always switches it up, doesn't it? You're doing something, you're in a different scenario or something all the time. Especially towards the end. Seems of like it, yeah. Yeah, it got really, the you know, it, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to sit down tonight and I know exactly what's going to happen because something always happened where I was like, oh, really? So I, I liked the way it was wrote. Um, but actually, I was really excited when I got to the end and we finished it. I This Naughty Dog have an official podcast and they've done a podcast where each episode is about, like, it starts with the original Last of Us and they talk through each chapter. Uh, and Neil Druckmann, who's the, you know, the director of the game, and the voice actors who play Ellie and Joel, they all sit down and talk about it. Hmm. And I've been listening to the episodes of that. They're like an hour each. And they go from the beginning of The Last of Us 1 all the way to the end of The Last of Us 2. And it's really well produced like it's like listening to a PBS show, you know, where there's a bit of dialogue from the game and then then somebody talks. It's really what it's by Sony the podcast. But if you like to dissect things, which I do because I like um, <laughs> this goes exactly uh, against what I just said. Like you've right. been entertained well, now, I'm move on. You. But you are entertained by the continued conversation. Yes. So I like, you know, that's why as long I like. As you don't make me watch it. I'm happy. <laughs> that's why I like special features on Blu-rays and stuff. I like to go and listen to direct- directors' commentaries. I just I, f- I find that also a, a entertainment for me. Like you know, I watch the movie and then I will watch it again with the director talking, and I'll get the same or maybe mm. more interest out of it. Uh, so that's The Last of Us Part Two. I-, I think it's it's easily well. There's not been many games this year, but it's easily my favorite game this year. You know, I can tell. And somebody said to me, "Do you think it's better than the first one?" And I would say it's more of the first one. If you liked the first one, you know, aside from the story, if you're some kind of bitchy person who can't take <laughs> can't take um, like a story that's not exactly tailored for you, you that's know, a might, good way of putting it. <laughs> this this uh, story might challenge you a little bit and make you feel a bit uneasy and make you feel weird about choices you're making. Because you can accept that there's a fungus that grows inside of humans and turns them into like basically zombies of different kinds, but you can't accept humans making specific choices that you yourself yeah. are not interested in. I think that's hilarious. And I was definitely shocked a couple of times in the game, but in a good way. Yeah. Because it's like the kind of shock where I'm like, wow. Uh, this is not what I'm thinking about this story, but you've done something different. I mean, so I, I applaud that stuff because it's not. Be- I've never played a video game where you have to do what you do in this game, and and that's as far as I'm going to go. But you you step into something that you're like, oh, every bone in my body tells me I'm not don't want to do this, but you're kind of challenged by it. So that is The Last of Us Part Two. What's for dinner today? Think you'd settled on your birthday dinner being Jimmy, Jimmy John's. Jimmy oh, we <laughs> tell them what we had today this morning. Oh yeah, well today because we've been wanting, we are vegetarian. This is why we're telling you what we eat because all vegetarians are not health nuts. We're not all into like constantly eating raw vegetables and fruit. Even though we both love that as well, we also like the junk food aspect, the fast food. And Burger King has the Impossible Whopper, which we've enjoyed many of those over the last. Several months, and now they have the impossible croissant sandwich. So if you're if you're a breakfast time person, 
You can any get, vegetarian. Yeah, it's <laughs> or, like, I mean, to anybody, but, you know, we find it, I, get, I give up on people, like, explaining that, guess what? This bite of food that you eat could be made of mostly vegetables and plant-based. <gasps> While over there on your plate could be a big hunk of steak. It really doesn't matter. It is not a it, this or that. And you it's not a contest. It, it is not a competition. You can have both. We're not vegan. Vegan's very difficult and it's a whole different thing. That is a philosophy of life about living on this planet and all being one, et cetera, et cetera. Look into it if you're interested. We are not that. We just haven't eaten meat for now how long? 11 years. 11 years and we're fine. I'm still fattish. <laughs> Fatter. Probably fatter than I was when I started, to be fair, because I like bread and I like cake. That's not meat, so I eat a lot of that. You, however, tell them about this real quick. What's your new game you've been playing? Oh, I've been playing uh, Fitbit. Um, <laughs> he fit- can turn anything into a game where the payoff is worth the effort. I am not that person, but tell them about it. I've been playing, uh, I got a exercise tracker on my wrist. I've been logged into the Fitbit site and doing their little games where... You do some steps, and then you, you're uh, walking around a map of the world, which I've got up on my screen right now. And you're, uh, it's like Google Maps, but you're wandering around the map, and you're collecting items. Sometimes you find treasure. All of this is, of course, because you get up out of your chair, and you walk up and down the hall or up and down the stairs many times in a row. Or we've been biking this week. You go walk around, I assume, just, just to get steps done, correct? Yeah. I mean, uh, my tracker can do cycling. It can track my cycling and it can track, you know. So I've been into this, like making it. You know, I like it. The gamify, gamify your um, fitness thing. Yeah, this is another way we're very different. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can, I mean, I'll ride the bike every day. I love riding the bike. I'll never be skinny because I like too many carbohydrates, but I cannot be uh, chained to, in my opinion, or suffocated by. Or an otherwise contained by the numbers. I cannot look at a scale or anything. Every day it it makes me depressed and then I want to go eat the whole cake. So I applaud your efforts and your stick to So, uh, yeah. You even went on the treadmill just to get more steps. I think that's impressive. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Um, that's the kind of thing that motivates me to do that stuff. I know. It's so, impressive. And it does work for some people and doesn't work for others. But um, for I'm me, the, always- I'm the other. <laughs> I, I love stats and making numbers go bigger. You do. So, and you like collecting things collecting and getting rewarded. And getting little trophies and, and that, all that is included in this. So hmm, you know. That's very in, astute observation because I am not no, you motivated don't by punishment or threats or danger. I'm not afraid of anybody or anything for the most part. And I don't feel rewarded I don't feel like grasping for rewards or achieving goals. Like, it's just not my thing. (laughs) So this explains a lot. (laughs) (laughs) This explains a whole lot. Oh, revelation time. So is that it? Are we at the end of our little thingy? Um, That's my advice. We're not at the end yet. Impossible Whopper. Impossible Whopper. And now my thing is, I've just realized something about myself that I probably already knew. But yeah, you are that and I am this. And that's... That's fine. Yeah. Everybody That's is my welcome. advice. <laughs> so um, that is the uh, podcast for this week. You can catch us on aschoolie.com, Twitter, Facebook, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, all of the places you can get to a podcast. 
If you just go to ascully.com, click on the word podcast, we have special little buttons where you can subscribe on any of those. It's really one-click thing. Fancy. You can uh, email me at ascully.com. Don't email Sid Talk. I mean, you can. You can, but it's a crapshoot. You'll go right in the spam folder. (laughs) Not necessarily. Not if you say the right thing at the right time and I'm actually reading my email. And stay classy. This is a classy movie. Mm-hmm. And it also has Roger Deakins, my friend in filmmaking. Or Richard, as I like to call him. Richard Deakins, <laughs> who's also a classy fella. And I'm going to say, think for yourself, everybody. If you don't do it, someone is definitely doing it for you. <laughs> <laughs>